Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Dave Popovich. I'm here with my co-host, Leanna Wachniak. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Dave. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. That's right. That was a short break, it, it seemed. It was a short break. Right? Like it just, yeah. I don't know. It just like it seemed like it didn't even happen. Anyways, did you have a good, uh, you had a good break. You went home, saw your family. Shoveled a bunch of snow, you know, that kind of thing is Canadian winter. How about <laughs> yeah. you? Well, you know, we were part of the crew that uh, we were supposed to fly out to Toronto, as you know, mm-hmm. on the Friday. Um, and yeah, it just didn't Never happen. Made it. Yeah. Didn't happen. So we didn't get to see my wife's family, which was a bit of a disappointment. But we did go up to Edmonton and saw my brother. So that was a lot. Yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, it was a nice break. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We've got a good show uh, to kick things off here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this notion of... Um, of what's called climbing down the ladder, mm-hmm. right? We know lots of people that climb the ladder through their careers and very structured in how they do that and discipline There's goals along the way and so on and so forth. Well, boy, if you've done that, how do you, how do you come back down? Yeah. What do you do after? What do you do and after? And what does success look like? Right. Mm-hmm. And how do you define that? So we've got a terrific author to help us understand a little bit about the details of that. And then how about an Alberta pension plan? How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting topic. And I think a lot of people are, they have questions yeah. of what that looks like. But we're going to talk to somebody who's written an article about it recently. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and lots of fascinating local input on that. So stick around for that. And that's a, that's a topic that um, could conceivably touch every single one of us in Alberta, right? Absolutely. Big topic. Yep. Okay. Um, now we're back here. It's sort of the first week of trading back in, in the new year. And um, I think it's important to, to talk a little bit about wh- where we're at right now. Now, at, at the top of the uh, show, you know, we talked about how quick this this uh, break mm-hmm. seemed to be. Okay, and I, I bring that up again to say that nothing's changed, right? Mm-hmm. Last week, or two weeks ago to this week, we still have the same problems, mm-hmm. there's still the same concerns mm-hmm. out there, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the baseline is, it's the calendar year is rolled over, but nothing else has changed. Yeah, all of the same things, all the same issues and things we were talking about are still there. And the big news this week, or the thing that everybody was looking for this week, were those jobs numbers. Yeah. So you were reporting them on them on Friday. Yeah. Can you share with us what what the print looked like? Well, so so jobs was an interesting conversation actually throughout the course of the week. So the reason jobs are important right now um, is because the the U.S. Fed, not the Bank of Canada, because the Bank of Canada has a singular mandate on inflation, but the U.S. Fed has a dual mandate on both price stability or inflation and jobs. Mm-hmm. And um, the strength of the U.S. labor market has been a concern to the U.S. Fed in that you're seeing, if, if it remains tight, wage inflation um, becomes prevalent in the system. And wage inflation is sticky, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to take that out once, exactly. once wages have gone up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's become a very important focus for the markets. Now, let me give you a sense of, of what the week was on, I'm just going to get my dates right because it was a shortened week. I think it was on Wednesday. What we got is some news on the job openings, number of job openings in the U.S. economy. Now, it was at, I believe it's a historic high when it hit 11 million, mm-hmm. right? And it's expected to come down, and it did come down. It came down to about 10 and a half million, but the market was looking for about 10 million. Mm-hmm. So what that tells us is, geez, there's still strength in that economy, and uh, you know the, the companies aren't taking those postings, those job openings mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And the market was really interesting. It, it traded initially negative on that data, and then it kind of recovered um, on Wednesday on that. Then on Thursday, we got the what's called the ADP private sector payroll report. So this looks at private 
uh, companies hiring. Mm -hmm. And the report indicated there were 200 and I'm going from memory here, 35,000 new jobs in the month of December mm -hmm. created. And the market was looking for something mm, 70, 80,000 less than that. Right. So we got to gain this mm -hmm. big surprise mm -hmm. uh, on jobs indicating another data point of, of strength in that, you know, that critical jobs area that everybody's focused on right now. And uh, the market immediately sank on Thursday mm -hmm. on that news. Mm -hmm. Then on Friday, we got both the Canadian labor, Stats Canada uh, labor data, and then we got the U.S. Uh, jobs report. And <laughs> I got to say, Leanna, it was really, really interesting data. Mm -hmm. Now, Canada is notoriously bad for being able to forecast or predict how mm -hmm. many jobs were created. Mm -hmm. And this was a good example of it, mm -hmm. right? The market was expecting like 5,000 jobs. Yeah. What did we get? 104,000? Yeah. yeah, something like that. It was huge, huge <laughs> surprise to everybody. <laughs> right. Like, not even close. Right. Yeah. Just it, it was just a blow. Yeah, not even close. Just a blowout number. And we had a few of those this year where mm -hmm. we get these sort of 100,000. Now, that's a, that's a massive number mm -hmm. um, in Canada. Now, unemployment uh, was expected to actually tick up a little bit mm -hmm. to 5.2%. It actually fell to 5. So the labor market is strong in Canada. Unemployment is going down. Wage inflation year over year is still sitting a little bit above 5%. It, it did moderate a little bit, but it's still a high number. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? Well, it, it, points to, it, it points to more evidence to suggest that the Bank of Canada can raise rates uh, this year. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a debate, and I'm not saying the debate is through yet, but by the end of this month, uh, the Bank of Canada has to make another decision. And I would say coming into this data, um, it was pretty close to a coin toss, mm -hmm. maybe a little less than 50-50 that they were going to raise rates again, meaning they were just going to pause. Mm -hmm. I would say the probability of another quarter point rate increase went up yes. based on how strong that, that report was. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll get some inflation data mm -hmm. um, before they have to make their decision. So let's not call it 100% mm -hmm. at this point. Now, the real interesting data was in the United States. Um, so the U.S. was expected to create jobs somewhere in the order of, call it 200, 203,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they came in at 235,000. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a beat, stronger than expected. Uh, not The magnitude of the beat was nothing like what we saw in the Thursday data. Right. So you could see the, the futures markets sort of immediately react to this thing. And it was a, it was a positive reaction, even though it was a beat. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, as mm -hmm. I think, strong as some would mm -hmm. have thought. Now, when you dug into the details of it, here's where the, it gets really interesting. The unemployment rate in the U.S. was expected to stay the same at 3.7. It, it fell to 3.5. Mm -hmm. that, that number the market's going to hate because the Fed's going to hate seeing that number. Mm -hmm. That means a tightening. Yeah. That's a pre close to a pre-pandemic low. Low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that shows a tightening in the labor market. Mm -hmm. They want to see a softening in the labor market. So you go on the one hand, you go, oh, boy. Um, that's not the, the, the data we wanted to see. But then we go a little bit deeper in that data. And, and what we start to find out is that wage inflation fell. Mm -hmm. So the market was expecting wage year over year to be about 5%. It was at 4.6. Mm -hmm. And then to make, some, make it a little bit more interesting, previous month, wage inflation was revised lower. Mm -hmm. So, wow. You know, it was fascinating to watch the early morning trading on this because the market had to figure out is this terrible news? Because the Fed's going to hate the fact it tightened. 
But the Fed's going to love the fact that wage inflation pressure, which is really what they're worried about, mm -hmm. is coming out of the system. Mm -hmm. What does it all mean? Right. And they're, they're in... I think defines the next quarter or two. Mm -hmm. What does it all mean? And what does the what does the Fed, what do the central banks do? Yeah. The Fed and the Bank of Canada do now, because as you said, wage inflation is sticky. Yep. But we're starting to see it soften a little yes. bit. Yes. But the economy is still strong. Now, is that a good sign then, potentially, for what a recession might look like? Yeah, so you're asking, I think, a super important question. And one of the things I said when I was reporting on the, that news as it broke in the morning was, you know, in the Goldilocks scenario, in my opinion, would be a, a situation where inflation is falling and everybody gets to keep their job. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Right? That, to me, is the, the Goldilocks scenario, the soft landing. And again, the market will have to digest that mm -hmm. over time if that's just a single data point or if that's what's happening. But that would be really something that that's the way that we would avoid recession mm -hmm. right you get what what's referred to as the soft landing if people if unemployment doesn't move up materially people are still working and inflation comes down right um wow mm -hmm. i don't think we could ask we could ask for more than that mm -hmm. how do you come down off the high of working and move into mm -hmm. retirement i mean that's what we do all day long with mm -hmm. clients and surprisingly it's maybe not surprisingly but it's not that easy right people take for granted liana that i just quit work one day and then I'm doing something else the other day. Yeah, I'm retired now, but what does that actually mean? And what does that mean for your day to day? What are you filling that time with? And what does success in retirement look like yeah. when you don't know what you're filling your time with? Yeah, and, and then there's a notion of, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of, I'd say type A people and they've been successful spending time climbing the corporate ladder, if you will. Um, you know, how do you come, how do you come down from there? Mm -hmm. and? And who are you after you leave that position, right? So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's an issue of self-identity and, uh, and personal worth and all of these things are tied to it, which, which most people don't talk about, but today we're going to. Yeah, that's and right. We've got a terrific guest to help us understand that, somebody who's gone through all this. Laura Black is the author of Climbing Down the Ladder. Laura, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be here with both of you. Now, I've, I've read a little bit about your background and I think it is fair to say that you did a lot of climbing the corporate ladder. Were very successful, uh, certainly in your personal, uh, your both personal and professional endeavors. And then you've uh, you're at the stage now where you've had to, to come down that. So I'd like to know just a little bit about this notion of climbing down the ladder. Where did this come from for you? Um, you know, climbing up the ladder. We are so goal focused, and there's measurements. And actually, it starts. As children, we get report cards and we get grades and we have college acceptances. And there's always these markers for achievement and we're always looking, where are we going? And we get into the workforce and we have goals for ourselves. Do I want to climb to this stage? Do I want to be an executive, a vice president? So there's very clear marks of achievement. Once we're there, it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> I've done it, where am I going to go? And sadly, it happens at the same time where there's a lot of other losses in our life. If we have children, it's a time where they fled the nest, so we're empty nesters. It's a time that we have aging parents, or in my case, you know, I lost my parents. Um, we have physical losses, we lose friends, so it's a time of tremendous loss. At the same time, we're losing part of our identity. 
However, there is a different kind of happy that is awesome. And I was not prepared. I remember that first morning I woke up where I didn't have to go any place. And I went in my office that I filled with file folders and my computer was set up and the printer. And I got on and I'm like, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> I started searching for new business ideas. And then the internet went down and I realized there was no IT department or assistant to manage it. And then I thought, manage what? So it is tough. For all of those people then, Laura, who have had um, that kind of success and they've climbed that ladder, how do you actually measure success in retirement if that's kind of the benchmark to which you're mm -hmm. accustomed to mm -hmm. aiming for? Right, it's that measurement. Um, well, I think it's a process. For me, success is contentment and joy and being in the moment. I realized one day I was sitting on the balcony and it's embarrassing to admit this, but I never watched a bird fly. <laughs> I was watching this big bird and I saw that it wasn't flapping its wings for most of the time, it was just soaring. And it only flapped its wings, I guess, when it was changing direction or when necessary. And I realized that when we're so goal-focused and there's so much in our lives, we pass up so much, like watching a bird. And that bird soars, and I never really soared. I was always flapping my wings. And there's a new kind of energy. You, you said something that I think is very, um, it's both interesting and I think it's important. And Leanna, we alluded to it at, at the top of the segment. This is this notion about being prepared or unprepared, Laura. And you said that you were unprepared for it, having gone through it. Uh, what advice would you give to those people that are approaching this thing that we call retirement in terms of getting themselves ready for what they're going to experience? Um, what I came to find, and I talk in the book about the wheel, and if we can use an analogy of a wheel or a pizza with the different pie-shaped areas, career was only one slice of that pie. And I didn't need to replace that slice. I had to take all the other slices and make them bigger. So for example, relationships was a slice. When you're busy working, you can't develop new friendships. You just don't have the time. So that was a big part. My community, giving more to our communities, learning. You know, who has time to think about learning something totally different? Whether for me, I tried a little bit of art, music, whatever it is. Leisure, you know, that's a new concept. And for me, it was. And of course, health, you know, exercise and all the things we should do for us. Spirituality. So it's taking all those other sections. And while we're still working, I think it's really important to be mindful that we do need our friends and we need our community and we need our hobbies. And even though we don't have the time to jump full in, we can start preparing those areas of our life. I think that's an important element. I mean, we see um, the wheel's a cool idea. That, that actually is an easy way to visualize it. I, I appreciate that sort of imagery on it. The, what people I think don't realize is that the, the work slice of that pie is in the order of 40 to 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you think about it in that respect, it, it actually takes some thought. It's not like you have to fill a half an hour a day, which, mm. you know, you could wing it on a daily basis. But when you have to fill that kind of time in a day, it's, it's material and it takes some planning. Laura, the last thing I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address, if, if you could, is this notion of identity. You don't have a business card anymore, you reference uh, in the book. And what impact did that have on you? And, you know, taking from that experience you've had, what do you suggest for people whose identity is often wrapped up in what they do, not necessarily who they are? Right. In fact, I, I remember so clearly, I was invited to a big corporate holiday party shortly after retirement. And I said, what am I going to do? I don't have a business card. How, do I, how am I going to meet people? I was so used to handing cards and exchanging. Who am I? What I ended up doing, which helped me so much, is I bought personal cards with just my name and my email and my phone number. So I had something to give out when I met people that I wanted to have more of a relationship with. I stopped asking people, what do you do, and started asking people, how do you spend your time? Yeah, I think that's a really neat uh, way to phrase that question. Yeah, and a lot of it is giving ourselves, a lot of it is giving ourselves permission, saying we've done enough, we've proved enough. This is sacred space. We need to maximize it. Each day's a gift. And sometimes it takes, for me, I had to look back to see what motivated me in the first place. Did I still have to prove anything? And realize we don't. It's okay. And be filled with gratitude and be present. Well, I think that that is a terrific place to end this. We could talk endlessly about this. It is a very, it's a very complicated thing that most people sort of give a cursory thought to before they retire. And I appreciate you shedding some light on this. Now, you are an author, um, and your book is titled um, Climbing Down the Ladder, A Journey to a Different Kind of Happy. If somebody's interested in getting a, hand, uh, a hold of this, Laura, how best to do that? Yes, it's available uh, on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any of the websites. It's officially out January 17th, but it is available for pre-order now. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Good luck with the book, and we appreciate you shedding some light on, on this, uh, this interesting transition that we all are going to go through. Pleasure speaking with you both. We've been joined by Laura Black, author of Climbing Down the Ladder. You know, one of the things that came out of the Fair Deal plan was this notion of a, an Alberta pension plan, mm -hmm. right? Our own yeah. pension plan, much like what Quebec has, get out of the CPP. Right. Um, and uh, Rob Breckenridge, a well-known name, uh, obviously on, on this station, mm -hmm. um, has had written an article this week. And um, Rob was good enough to uh, entertain us with his uh, time today to talk mm -hmm. about some of the feedback on this, because it seems to be a, a pretty... Um, I don't know if it's polarizing. We'll hear from him, but it's certainly a charged topic of conversation. Definitely. That's a, it's, I think it's about a half and half split opinion on this one, so it'll be interesting to get Rob's take on it. Yeah. Anyways, let's get going on this topic. Rob Breckenridge, host of, L, um, of the Afternoons of the Rob Breckenridge Show on 770 CHQR. Rob, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, you wrote this article titled An Alberta Pension Plan. Big old question mark there. Albertans deserve to be consulted on the question. 
But before we get into the feedback you've gotten, and I know we were chatting off air and you said you've gotten lots of feedback. Tell me a little bit about what sort of led up to you writing this article. Well, and this came up in December because you know, obviously we've just had a, a huge political transition in Alberta. And, uh, you know, we went from Premier Jason Kenney now to Premier Danielle Smith. And, you know, I think it's been pretty clear that this is maybe one area where there's some common ground between the two. Like they both seem supportive of the idea, but we haven't really got any kind of clear direction from the new Premier as to where things were going on this. So it, it came up in an interview she did with Calgary Sun columnist Rick Bell in December, kind of a year-end interview, and was asked about this and suggested that maybe this would be something Albertans could vote on in conjunction with the uh, the general election coming up in May, which isn't all that far away. Uh, so a couple of days later, as, as she was taking questions from other reporters, she seemed to back down from that a little bit, suggesting that yeah, maybe May would be kind of rushed. She would still like to see this put to a referendum, but no decision had been made and uh, made reference to the the fact that we are expecting a, a report sometime here in January from, from the finance minister. So once that's released, then that'll maybe decide next step. So kind of some mixed messages from the premier about whether we might, would see a referendum in May. I'm of the opinion that we probably should. This is the kind of thing maybe Albertans should have a direct say on, that, but that, that May would be, given where we're at already and the need to inform Albertans about all sides of this may might be a little rushed. So that, that was the, the point I was trying to get across that. Yeah, look, this is a big issue. Albertans deserve a say, but, you know, let's be careful, take our time with this, too. Mm -hmm. So what have you been hearing as feedback from that column after you put that out? It's been really interesting, the, the reaction. And, you know, typically when I, I, you know, write something or talk about something on, on the air, you know, we, we get emails and reaction from people and it, it does vary. This one was was interesting because not only was there a lot of reaction, it was kind of all over the map. I mean, you know, there, there is the, the kind of reaction that's caught up in the politics of it all that, you know, we want Alberta to be more independent from Ottawa. Let's, you know, let's go on our own. You know, let's let's stick it to the rest of the country, even that kind of reaction. But I, I was hearing from a lot of people who just had some genuine questions, like, what would this mean exactly? You know, especially for people that are either now collecting CPP or, or close to that, you know, the uncertainty of, well, what is this going to mean? I mean, look, you guys know people don't want to deal with uncertainty in retirement or close to retirement. And that's one, this is one of those things, I think, that, that does speak to that, that maybe it's a good idea, but what is it going to mean for me? How does it affect me and my situation? A lot of people wondering, well, what about if I'm collecting OAS and, and you know, these other federal programs, if we move out of CPP, how does that affect that? So people have a lot of really basic kinds of questions about their retirement that are really separate from the politics of it all. So it's been really interesting to see that kind of all over the map there. Where did the politics end up on this? I'm, I'm interested in that. And listen, the devil's always in the details um, when you're doing retirement planning of any kind. And, and pensions, guaranteed sources of income, Leanna, are, uh, I mean, we've got fewer and fewer people with corporate uh, defined benefit pension plans, right? Which means more and more Canadians rely really on the guaranteed sources from things like CPP mm -hmm. and OAS. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Rob, I can understand, um, you know, people asking those questions. I think it's damn important that we have to understand as Albertans, um, you know, what, what the, the details of that are going to look like. But the politics of this, I suspect, um, are probably interesting as well. And give me your sense of the idea around a referendum and, uh, you know, just a general political feeling of, uh, of Albertans with respect to this. Yeah, like I say, so there are those those kind of political overtones in terms of the the dynamic of the relationship right now between Alberta and Ottawa. So this this has appeal in the sense that it's Alberta going its own way, Alberta sort of deciding its own future, charting its own course, that sort of thing. 
there's some additional appeal in that because as it stands right now, and this is one of those questions about do current demographics hold true over 10, 15, 20, 50 years, but Alberta has a younger population. So we do contribute a little bit disproportionately to the CPP. And from that then, if Alberta were to leave the CPP, that would likely mean that the rest of Canada would have to pay a little bit more to make up for that. And so I think people like the idea that this almost kind of gives us some leverage. I mean, I don't know if we want to use this as a negotiating tactic, but I do think some people uh, like the idea of that, that here's something Alberta could do, would get the rest of the country's attention, and, and maybe we could use that to negotiate uh, on, on some other front. So there's that. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's the whole question then of, okay, well, if we were to go this route, what would it mean? Potentially, it, it could mean that Albertans do pay a little bit less because of those same kinds of you know, demographic issues. There's AIMCO that exists in Alberta, which exists to to manage uh, very large assets uh, on the part of the Alberta government, you know, billions and billions of dollars. But AIMCO's had, you know, some some missteps in recent years. And I think maybe that's made some people a little bit leery. Do we want to trust AIMCO to to manage our pensions? So there's all of that coming into play here. The the appeal potentially of a better deal for Albertans when it comes to to pension contributions, the potential of, you know, sort of changing that relationship with Ottawa and the rest of the country. But also those questions about, is it going to work as well as we think that it could? And a lot of big questions about such a change like that. That's a massive change. Uh, and, and I think any kind of massive change is, is going to make people a little nervous, even if they are supportive. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about the, the pension with the population. Um, as a negotiating point, you're right. I think that, uh, that that's interesting. As a younger population, the converse to what you said is that it would actually be less expensive for Albertans to fund our own pension from an actuarial perspective because we've got a younger age. But I think the key assumption there is that we always have a younger demographic, mm -hmm. and um, and you know there's no guarantee that that holds true over uh, over mm -hmm. time. I, I think ultimately, and let's go back to the referendum question for just a minute, Rob. What's what's your position on this? We should or we shouldn't? I think this is a, yeah. I, I mean, I think we should. I, I realize that you know putting anything to a referendum is going to make it somewhat politically charged, and and this would be no different. But you know, this is the kind of thing that that is, you know, it's it's beyond the, you know, the day-to-day -day kind of politics we deal with, the, the sort of thing we expect governments to deal with. Like, this is a big question that it really isn't political when you cut right down to it. And, you know, this is going to, to affect Albertans for generations to come. So it, it's not a typical kind of government decision. And, and you know, and, and look, I mean, this didn't really come up in, in the 2019 election. So, I don't know that you could argue that the government has a mandate to go ahead and do this. I mean, maybe absent a referendum, that this could be something that at least the parties talk about in the upcoming election. If the UCP want to say, hey, this is what we're going to do, the NDP have made it pretty clear that, you know, they're content to, to stick with the CPP and, and leave this alone. So th that might be one alternative, at least, you know, where government could argue that it has a, a mandate. But I, I think on something like this and, and to let Albertans hear a direct case to really have a focused conversation where you've got a yes side and a no side laying out their case and Albertans hearing from all sides. I, I think this is the kind of issue that, that does lend itself to that kind of direct consultation with voters. Well, absolutely. And as the CPP is, as Dave mentioned, the, basically the only source of guaranteed income for a lot of Albertans, it's important, I think, that they have at least some sort of say and input in that. Yeah. Now, do you think we're going to get some of the details that we're looking for in this, in that report from the finance minister that comes out in January? Well, I certainly hope so. I, I think some people might 
take it with a grain of salt, which is reasonable, that, that we have a government that seems to be leaning in this direction. So it's likely that what we see from the finance department is, is going to be favorable. And, and so that's fine. But I mean, as long as it's comprehensive, that there's data to back it up and that, that you know, we can try to assess it as best we can, or at least, you know, allow some experts to go through. I think it's a good step forward in the conversation to, to lay out some more facts for Albertans. And, you know, like I, I said in the piece, I think if we're going to get into a referendum campaign, we're going to need to see you know, data from both sides. And we're going to need to allow time for, you know, the no side, I guess if we're calling it that, to sort of get their act together, get their ducks in a row and be able to prepare some reports from their perspective so we can see maybe what the other side of the argument looks like. So I'm looking forward to seeing this report. I I, I am intrigued by this issue. I, I think there's some really interesting, compelling arguments on both sides. So uh, I'm I'm eager for that, and I, I think this, like I said, will be a good step uh, forward in terms of this debate. But you know, it, it, I do think there there are going to be some who will be a little skeptical of what what kind of numbers the government's putting out because of the politics around all of this. But like I say, I think you know the more information, the better on something like this. Rob, I think this is going to be um, a really interesting conversation piece for some time to come, and I'd hope to have you back on uh, once we get some of these details and. You've had a chance to even talk to the public about it. I'd be very curious to, to get that. So I hope we'll have a chance to do that. But uh, I wanted to thank you for taking some time today to join us on this topic. Yeah, glad to do it. Thanks for having me. And, and like I said, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an issue that, that affects all of us. And, you know, so the more conversation around this, the, the, the better. So th this is great. Good deal. We're joined by Rob Breckenridge, host of Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on 770 CHQR. We're talking about uh, markets and we're talking about the economy high inflation and potential, well, we got war, but, you know, potential nuclear threats. And we've got all these problems on the go, uh, Liana, and it, it sure feels like it's different this time. Mm -hmm. Well, we were talking about that this week, and we were looking back at history. Yeah. And that was a really interesting exercise, because if you look back at history, we've actually seen a lot of this before mm -hmm. in various different facets, different ways. But... It does feel different this time for a lot of people and a lot of the people that we to talk to specifically. But I think there's a different reason for that than most people think. So what's different? The difference is that the people that we're talking to are retiring and they uh, have never been in that position before. Right. When they've gone through all of these various crises and events before. So the question I, get, I think that a lot of people are wondering is, first of all, why does it feel different? Right. What is the same? And how then do I protect myself? Yeah. So maybe let's start and talk a little bit about what's the same and what actually normal is in this well, situation. Let's talk about what's the same is that we've got crises, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We have a crisis and we can list we can list them off. Um, you know, as we're we're going to be doing a community session with our clients and friends at the end of this month, and so we're preparing and getting all this this data, and it is really fascinating to get the data in your hands about all of the various crises and things that have happened over time, mm -hmm. irrespective of whatever crisis you want to focus on, whatever you're most concerned about, gather the data on that. And, and the conclusion was after literally sifting through a stack of paper that was you know 12 inches deep, um, a series of reports, the conclusion is what's the same? Is that there's always crises, mm -hmm. right? Now we can't necessarily say that we've had pandemics before, although you can, you know, you, <laughs> You, you can find like 1923 where there yeah. was, you know, Spanish flu and so on and so forth, right? You can, you can often find similar aspects uh, of it. And Faisal and I often talk about, um, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does sing from the same song sheet. Mm -hmm. And so if there is, if, const, if, sorry, if the constant is crisis, 
And the, what's, same, what's the same is that there's crisis now, there will be crisis in the future. What's different then? It's the way we feel it and retirement, mm -hmm. right? So we've changed. Mm -hmm. People have changed. Where they are in their life has changed. Yes, there's a difference between having an external paycheck coming in that's mostly indexed to inflation. You know, that goes up as wage inflation pressure happens. And having that come in and being able to cover your expenses every month, it's, that's different than looking at your own savings and saying, okay, well, this is what I have to live on. Right. And inflation, the price of everything is going up and all of these things are happening and I don't know how to handle them. And my portfolio is the only thing I've got for my retirement. Okay, so if you've changed, if, if, if we have as individuals changed, not the fact that there's gonna be crisis and some uh, on things, what, what has to change in our investment methodology and our, or our wealth management strategies to accommodate for the change that people are going through? Hmm. Well, I, I'm gonna throw this question back at you because okay. you talk about this all the time. What are the two main things that go into right. our management style? Right for retirement when you look at your portfolio. Right, so we talk about the, the, the two main superpowers of structure yeah. and discipline, mm -hmm. right? Um, and structure and discipline, uh, when we say it, when we're saying it in the context of this conversation, we're talking about it in the context of the change that you have gone through as an individual, mm -hmm. right? Not the markets themselves. Mm -hmm. There is a structure and discipline around trading the markets, but what it does speak to is that you have changed. Your situation has changed. Mm -hmm which dictates that you need to make a change in your structure and discipline mm -hmm. about how to plan for and prepare mm -hmm. uh, the wealth that you've created for the various goals that you have, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we always talk about the, the four buckets. Mm -hmm. Well, and the reason that we have those four buckets is because you have multiple different goals. Right. And the, the retirement strategy isn't just, I can never have a down year. I can never have a down year. My portfolio can never go down because that's statistically impossible. You need something else in place to make sure that your income is protected. So that's why we talk about this notion of income and growth bucket. Right. So why don't you share a little bit about our income bucket and why it's important to have that separated from that growth side? Right. So, so the income bucket is obviously, it's based on the name of it, designed to provide stable, predictable, to the extent you can get it, tax-efficient income, right? So this is the pensionizing portion of your portfolio. And think about what a, what a pension plan does as it's preparing to meet its liabilities. Those liabilities, by the way, are what you and I call our CPP payments, mm -hmm. right? The, uh, the cash flow that we get. Um, so, so what a pension plan uh, does and have done for decades and decades is they set aside some cash, some capital that's invested in a way that matches those liabilities, the payments. And what they can't afford to do is take a lot of risk with those, with those payments. And so hence this notion of an income bucket. As somebody retires and start to pensionize a portion of their wealth, it's not all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Just a portion of it. Well, the strategy should be built around that notion of predictable, st uh, stable uh, tax efficiency in terms of the cash flow mm -hmm. that you need. Now, that doesn't have to come from uh, just uh, investments, uh, sorry, uh, public investments. Some people have uh, rental properties. Some people have closely held family businesses. So the way you build an income bucket is very dependent, highly dependent upon an individual family's 
the wealth that they have generated over their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then the same with the, the, the growth bucket, right? The, the growth bucket has to grow over time and replenish the income bucket, Leanna, as we always talk about. Mm -hmm. But again, does it have to be just public investments? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I think it's really important from a structure and discipline perspective when we talk about this for people to think beyond the siloed idea of public investments. It's about a total wealth picture. It's about a total wealth picture and it's also about separating those two facets of right. your retirement, your portfolio, because then you're not worried about can I afford groceries if my market, if my portfolio has gone down. Right. If we get market events, crises, which, as we say, there's always something, yeah, right? That's there's, a constant. There's always something, it's constant. You need to be able to weather that in a way that's not impacting your income. Right. So I think that's something that we should talk about. Well, yeah, well, we're gonna do that again at our upcoming seminar, aren't mm -hmm. we? Because I think this is one of the, this is one of the key fundamental changes that, that I don't think people um, recognize as they climb down the ladder mm -hmm. and they move into, into retirement, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the notion that we've got multiple and often competing goals and objectives, and I need to establish a discipline around that. That's right. And our next seminar is going to be Tuesday, January 24th. It's 7 p.m. live, both online and in person at the Silver Springs Golf and Country Club here in Calgary. So please join us for that. We'll be talking about income and growth buckets and how to protect your portfolio. Now, you do need to register. Please go to morethanmoneyradio.com to do that. And thanks for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of Leanna and myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.